Hi, I'm Simone W. Johnson-Smith, and welcome to the Immigrant Experience in America. Are you a professional new to the United States and struggling to monetize the expertise you brought across the seas? Are you feeling misunderstood and out of touch because you're struggling to understand the unstated rules of the American culture? Each week, we'll take an in-depth look at the positive contributions immigrants are making to the American culture, marketplace, and life. Our intention is to serve as a bridge from your culture to the American culture, giving you a roadmap of tools and the language to understand the unstated rules of the American culture. Let's get started. Hello, listeners, and thank you for joining us again on another episode of the Immigrant Experience in America where we amplify and humanize the experiences of immigrants in the United States and around the world. Today, we have for you another very interesting guest. Her name is Dr. Maxine Bradshaw. She'll be sharing a little bit about her experience living here, and so we'll be talking more about mental health issues in the immigrant community. Welcome, Dr. Bradshaw. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for giving us a bit of your time on this busy day and joining us here on our podcast. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to this discussion. Very good. So if you don't mind, can you give us a bit about yourself, professionally, personally, however much you'd like to share? Okay, great. And I hate talking about myself too. So, you know, having been here for a while, almost 30 years. So I came here from the University of the West Indies. I'm from Kingston, Jamaica. And I went to Shortwood Teachers College first because growing up, everybody just wanted to be a teacher. We wanted to be an impact, to be that professional in the classroom that will guide you and will be able to listen to those that need an ear to, to, for someone to just show them some love. So I decided I wanted to be a teacher. Having graduated from Shortwood Teachers College, I found out that I needed some more information. So I went to the University of the West End and I pursued business because when you're from Trenchtown, the first thing everybody says is that you need to go into some business so you can earn some money to take care of your parents. So I went to business with the idea that business is the quickest route to make money and to get rich. Having said that, though, I came to the United States to Howard University where I did pursue an MBA. And I graduated and got hired straight from the college to um, be employed at the um, FCC at that time, Federal Communication Commission. And I worked there, but I just couldn't deal with the competition um, that was there, the cutthroat thing. And And I found out that I was doing more talking to people, counseling people than anything else. So then I decided that I rather I didn't have the skills or the ability to move them from point A to point B. I, I got them to a point, but then they keep coming back with the same issue. So I didn't have the, the training to teach them how to keep those coping skills that I read about and that I saw being implemented around me. So I went back to Howard University because of the community that was there and the love and just being in awe of so many minorities that are highly sought after and so educated Mm -hmm. and and just giving you the support that you needed. So yes, 
said they called me a Howard baby. Why? Because I have three degrees from Howard University. I had my MBA and I switched to mental health. So I I have uh, a master's in education for counseling. And then I pursued my PhD in counseling psychology at Howard University. So I've worked in different contexts. But one of my passion is working with my husband, Marvin Bradshaw Sr., as pastors of higher dimensions ministries where we not only impact communities change lives but we are also the go-to when someone one they call my husband the demon chaser when you have some a hard case they call for him so it keeps me on my knees just praying for grace mercy and strength indeed and you can tell that i love what i do i love talking to people i love being that influence that that can ask them challenge them motivate them to look beyond what others think or see in them and to see the big picture and to see what God has called them and prepared them to accomplish. You're a Howard alumni. That's awesome. Uh, Howard baby, they call it. Howard baby, right? Because three times. I wish actually that I had someone at the time who was influencing me to do an HBCU. I actually went to what they call primarily white institution, American University there in D.C. But Mm -hmm. I've come across so many people. My cousin went to Hampton University and I was recently trying to get my brother to go to Morehouse. Right. So I've seen the relationships that my cousin has been able to foster. I think it's an environment that really caters to black students, which is so important Mm -hmm. because, you know, it's different when you're in a different environment as well. So. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Congratulations. Our vice president went also went to Howard University, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And one of the things, though, while I was at Howard University, I found myself just almost like they call it breezing through. So I thought that this is odd. So I took advantage of what they call the consortium. So I did take classes at um, Georgetown University, um, University of Maryland, just to see if it's just Howard University. But the Caribbean education fully prepared us to excel in our first culture. Absolutely. I absolutely agree. I have felt the same way. I went to Excelsior High School. Excelsior in the circles in Jamaica isn't quite seen as one of those, as you would call it, Ivy League type of school like Immaculate or Holy Childhood. I felt like I was actually prepared quite well. I mean, I meet people today and I Mm -hmm. think I have done amazingly so much better than so many people who went to some of these more expensive high schools. So I think Excelsior did very well preparing me to compete in some of these universities that I've attended so far. I completely Mm -hmm. agree with you. So what is life like in Jamaica, Dr. Bradshaw, based on your experiences being a teacher when you were younger growing up? What were things that you do Mm -hmm. for fun? Just generally, what was life like for you? Wow. And that's also a a question that you, you know, you could spend a whole day just talking about the Jamaican experience, the community. I first want to talk about child care because that's one of the major challenges I have with my students. Now I teach uh, at Pillar College and most of them would drop out of school because they're not able to afford the child care. But in the islands, in Jamaica, child care is, hey neighbor, I'm running somewhere, give an eye out. You know, just the love and the unity that 
we that, that we're able to look out for each other that we're able to listen evil if, if you if you don't have enough food at your place there is always a neighbor's house that they call the big yard that you can always go and eat you know you hang out and love we had so many we just hang around it's dinner time nobody's gonna send you out and go home at this time everybody draw a plate and you get some some just meal and and before we came on i was talking to someone and we were talking about just the high seasoned food and the aroma i sure miss that here that in america when they say you're having jamaican food and you go to a jamaican restaurant they are just so inhibited in seasoning the food and getting all that 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 taste that we're accustomed to so the food is a one that it's it's something to to, to be desired around the world and not to, to mention our music our dance or uh, and just the love of people that we have the familiarity of just having family the family is not just blood it's the those in the community i still am in contact with most of my neighbors as well they share their children's accomplishment and just loving each other the music the love and one of the things that i do too i'm a patois interpreter i love the jamaica patois uh-huh. and just to be able to get paid get paid for something that you love doing to speak so i, I interpret patois in the court system the justice system really? and the immigration system and they pay good money too um, please, for doing please, this. So hook us up, hook us up, hook us up. So just getting paid to speak patois and to talk patois is something else. I just I love it. I love that's the best part of me. Well, I must say, uh, being a Christian is that best part. But the other part that I really love, I wouldn't change it for anything, is that being a Jamaican. And I I went to Trench Town primary school, Trenchtown Comprehensive High School. So mm-hmm. people looking at me, people who know me and know where I'm from as well. If you go back to where I was born, it cannot be found. It's now called the no man's land. Really? Uh, so not happening. Absolutely no connection at all right there but just being able to have others who would speak life into you and to see what God has done in my life and that's why I'm encouraged and motivated to challenge others that listen your environment is not determinant of who you will become or what you can accomplish it all depends on God and you connecting with the spirit of God within you to cooperate with this purpose for your life Absolutely. Wow, 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 wow. You've dropped some big nuggets there for people. I hope they'll be picking those up. If you're struggling to find work, uh, you can seek out the court system and be an interpreter of Patois. That's one way to earn some Absolutely. income, right? And um, yeah, certainly Jamaica has quite the community. And on my one of my episodes, I talk about, you know, coming here and how mm-hmm. I felt just the stress of being here in this environment and not being able to find community, but going back home and just feeling like as soon as I got off the plane, I have this hug that just received me. It's amazing to have that. And it's definitely that warmness that's in the Island. It's, I completely agree with you. So Dr. Bradshaw, can you tell us about your experiences over the years? So you came into Howard What was Mm -hmm. it like when you first came in those first few months, those first few years? How did you adjust to the life here? It's absolutely a culture shock. 
that you have to transition, train yourself and be prepared to go in an environment where firstly, it's individualized. Everyone is looking out for themselves. And and and, and yeah, there's some mistakes that I made in those early years as well. But just being finding that community, not only the Jamaicans that are there, but also others from the Caribbean who decided that, listen, we are all one, we are here to excel, and that shared experience that we would we study all night, we, we, we got used to that from, from UWE, that we'd be studying all night, and then to come here and to find that too. But some of the things that I found alarming here is the fact of not getting that mental health support, and the fact that you can't even discuss it openly during that time when I just came to um, coming from an environment where my father was mentally ill and I, as I came here struggling with mental health issues, not only the fear and the ambivalence, but just not seeing myself as that person who's able to excel, seeing mm-hmm. myself as a grasshopper as well and not thinking that I'll be able to excel um, in, in that and and um, just the shame of, of if you were able to identify then would that be, will you be labeled, will you be judged um, mm-hmm. in, in terms of that. So even though I went to Howard University where we had our own hospital we had our, our own mental health facilities, I never took advantage of those and that's why my, my voice is to let individuals know that listen you gotta do what's best for you if you have to say so reach out continue to do so um mm-hmm. one of my challenges though at howard university you know in the islands that we, we're from the, the, the british english so they asked you to discuss and elaborate so we would write a whole thesis on a topic but here mm-hmm. they just want to get to the point quick short sentences it took me a while to learn that so i struggled with that for my first semester but once i got that under the belt then it was all A's going forward with that so the Mm -hmm. education system is different I want to give you a funny story too that even now when my colleagues and I uh, meet up back we talk about it take home exams we never had take home exams in the islands so to get a take home exam we literally sat on the exam condition and completed the exam and turned it in and when the, the instructor was going over it and students that you know, you know more than them and they're getting higher grades and you're wondering, how did you get that? They said, we looked in the book. Were you allowed to look in the book for the take-home exam? We never knew that, that a take-home exam is an open book exam. And then to come here and then find out something called a cheat sheet. What? You can bring answers into the exam and you have to memorize everything in the islands and you put it down in in that condition and you have to excel. You have to give citation and references in the exam here. Is it is it's like more open in terms of that and, and, and the multiple choice. They have more emphasis on multiple choice. I think now the islands are moving towards that. But before when in, in the system that I grew up when you had to write everything, elaborate Me and too. Demonstrate. 
demonstrate and demonstrate yes, that you know what you're talking about. There was no BS in that you go to the classroom and people didn't read and they just talk around the subject. And you're like, but that's not what the question is. They're getting their A's because they're more oral and you are more waiting to be identified to talk. You know, oh, that's, yes. that's another you'd one. Yes. And nobody would reach out to you. And then you'd hear that this one as their participation point, you didn't get it. All. But you didn't call on me to speak. I knew the answer all along. So these, those are some things that were, you know, just, just shocking to the system until you get used to it. And then you realize like, listen, just let it flow. Just ease through this. You can do it. It's quite different. No, I can completely remember studying from seventh grade to 11th grade, right? And having one major exam, the, the CXE, and sitting in that yeah. hall and every, you have to have everything up in here in order for you to pass those exams, right? It's, there's no help yeah. anywhere, no cheat sheet, no take-home no exams, no multiple choice. No you better book. know your stuff. <laughs> Yeah, but for me, I again. go way back. So I'm G, I'm GCE, and you are CXE. Oh, so I'm wow. Yeah. But it's still uh, the rigor. It's I think certainly yeah. prepares you for functioning in other environments. I I can appreciate it now. So thank you for sharing some of the challenges and differences with studying in Jamaica versus in the United States and some of the culture shock moments um, and mental health issues. I wonder, have you been able to show up as your true authentic immigrant self since you've been here, right? So Dr. Bradshaw, Maxine, the way you speak, the way you express yourself, the way you like to eat, the way you dress, the way you comb your hair. It's certainly different because you were raised in a different environment, right? Have you been able to just be yourself or do you find that you've had to assimilate or accommodate however you is has been the experience for you? Well, so originally after you graduate, you want to represent, right? Because you're on a Howard alum. You want to change up so that they see the Howard before they see you. They see the education before they see you because you 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 have that ambivalence or the fear or distrust that you'll be judged and mm. i don't know any immigrant who at one point or another have not heard go back on your banana boat oh you know, boy if and if you are here long enough you will hear that whether it's in the supermarket as long as they hear the accent as long as you refuse to compromise with your speech as long as you're able to art and anyone who's, who's being challenged in, in whether or not to change their way of speaking and to disguise their Jamaican accent or any immigrant accent at all, I advise against it because it takes too much stress to do that and too much energy. So yes, I've, I've, I've really progressed beyond trying to please others. And the, the closer you get to God, is when you realize that he that the, the it's a process from point A to point B or to, to the beginning to the end where he wants 
you to show forth his excellency. And when you understand that it's God that you please first, it doesn't mm. matter how others perceive you. So yes, I've had challenges where people believe that I need to change my the way I speak. I've had um, challenges with the way I dress as well because I'm still very conservative. And when they invite you to their like Christmas parties as well and they're wearing these splits and these mini shorts and all of that different. And I'm not into that as well. And it's, it's not because I'm a different Jamaicans because we do have Jamaicans in terms of the context where their socialization will cause them to wear whatever they're comfortable in but that's right so So I've been able finally I've learned and I become more accepted when others understand that what you see is what you get this is the genuine person there and they see my heart first before they see um, where I'm from. So having learned and evolved to just be you, let God use you and just represent God. And when you represent Mm -hmm. God first, you represent your country, you represent your family. So just continue to shine and and be the best you in any context that you have been placed. It's funny, uh, you know, I meet some people who assume that all Jamaicans smoke weed. And wear what they call body rider or, you know, those yes, mini skirts exactly. and you know how to, what the different dances that yeah. they do. But I also was raised in more con- in a conservative way, like in the church. And so your modesty is very important. I was always stressed as I didn't know any other way but to be modest in my dress and the way I presented myself. And so I too was coming up against people saying that I'm too strict and I have too many rules and I'm too picky when it comes to guys and I'm not going to sleep with you or kiss you just because I just met you. It was amazing, right? And I got a lot of those too. When you go home on holiday, make sure you bring back back some ganja for me. Like I don't smoke. And they really think that you're not telling the truth. I have never smoked. I don't intend to. Ganja is not part of, of, of my reality. Right. Smoking that. That's not me. Absolutely. Yes. And the funny thing is, I would say that a majority of Jamaicans would probably say the same thing. I don't understand where the stereotype comes from that it's really not that widely used on the island. Right. Some people might farm it and might sell it. But locally, when you go around, it's not something that people are using in, uh, you know, things are changing now. Right. Where they're it's doing research. Now. They're researching it for medicinal purposes and such, but it was never so widely used on the island. I have no idea where that stereotype comes from. It's so strange, right? Plus, it's still illegal. Remember, people hide and smoke too. It's still illegal in the island. So they think that in every corner, every household, everyone has a little pot. Like they have a little rose bush in the backyard that we do have our little ganja plant in the backyard as well. It's amazing. But in any case, and it can be exhausting, right? You meet somebody and they think they already know you based on their own stereotypes of what you're supposed to be presenting to them. So I wonder, what's your advice when it comes to mental health? Or uh, have you come across any research about mental health in the immigrant community here in the United States? And what what have you um, been seeing in your own practice? So we do find a lot of people first expectation anticipation some will come because america is supposed to be the green land the land where you are supposed to be rich right because even Mm. me i came to learn earn and return that was my 
four Ks. I want wow. to learn, I want to earn, and I want to return. And look, I'm still here, happily married to an American as well. So that's something else. 30 plus but years later, I, yeah? Absolutely. So one, one of the things that we find is just the disappointment when people arrive and realize that they firstly, they're not as accepted as they were in their own country, you know, the, mm-hmm. the xenophobia and just being prejudged before you even able to to present yourself, to, to, to prove who you are, to prove your worth as well. So we have individuals that will come with expectation that once they arrive in America, doors are going to be open and more opportunities are going to be here. And they get so discouraged and disappointed and oppressed and depressed mm-hmm. because of the process that they yes. have to go through. Most of the time, maybe those who are here, the portrayal of of wealth that they see, they expect that it's going to just come easy as well. And and people are not so honest and forthright in sharing the struggles that they have been through. So once they get the visa here or once they land here, whatever, by any means possible, they expect now to be able to miraculously start supporting themselves and supporting their loved ones back home Mm -hmm. but the process is more tedious so you get a lot of mental health challenges just coming from that anticipation of wealth and success suddenly so just to to teach and and to gear them up it's a step at a time and and it take measurable goals from one here you know learn to do one skill here and then use that skill to propel you to the next skill so yes there's a level of anxiety there's a level of being faced with racism rejection um, that comes in the immigrant um, community and population as well and the fact of, of self-acceptance because back home you were accepted you're just a Jamaican and you and people accept you for what you bring to the table and yes. now you're in an environment that people are going to look at you and you got to be better than the normal person you got it because you are the outsider and that feeling of always being the outsider no matter if you're better mm-hmm. in that environment being perceived that that way it brings us some amount of stress yes. to and amplify the level if you have no support and if the individuals that you are relying on for support they themselves are putting pressure on you to excel so and that's why yes. you're here you hear, and they put it in movie. The Jamaicans have four or five jobs. In Jamaica, I had three jobs. In Jamaica, it wasn't something new that when you came to America, you had to do three. I had three jobs in Jamaica. So, yes. you know, having said, I used to clean clean the school after I used to teach. I used to clean the school, and I used to be a salesperson. Those three jobs pr- produce one paycheck. Just the pressure here that says I have to keep up with the Joneses. I have to have, be my own independence and do this. Listen. Go slowly. You know your capabilities. You know your limitations. So just work with that and seek out. Listen, before you run ahead, take time to learn the process. Take time to assimilate 
into the culture as well and take time to enjoy life. Just be grateful that you're here right now and also plan. Your planning should not have like day one, I want my big house, I want a new car. You know, you know, be content taking the bus or the train until that time because once you're thinking I need my own car, but then there's a car note and then there's the insurance that comes with it. And then if it's not a brand new car, then you have to keep up with the maintenance as well. So those are some of the challenges that immigrants face. Join us next time for part two of this episode. Tune in next week for another episode of The Immigrant Experience in America. As this is a new podcast, we welcome any and all support. If you have not done so already, subscribe on the Apple Podcast app, Google Podcast app, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. You can also support us by completing a five-star rating and review and sharing our podcast with your friends, family, and circle of influence.